is the Jose Show. Jose Show. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Jose Show. I am your host, Jose Roldan Jr. And today we have a very special guest, author and director Brian Bennett. He did the movie Escape 2120. Good afternoon, Brian, and thank you for being on the show. And it seems like we just did this earlier. Great. Well, thanks for having me here. It's good to see you. That's good. Um, I'm glad that you're here. Now, I want to find out um, what made you decide that you wanted to write books. Um, and I could see that you live in Ohio, and, and, and Ohio seems like a pretty place, according uh, to the uh, scenery that I saw in the movie Escape 2120 that you directed. What's it like living in Ohio, and what's it like writing books, and why did you start writing books? Well, I've, I've lived in Ohio and West Virginia my entire life. I, I like the area, a mild climate. Anyway, uh, it's home to me. So it was great to, to actually you know, film here in what I consider home and where I have connections with uh, the other people to help out with the film. It's been great to do that. Uh, so let me ask you this. What made you decide to uh, start writing books? Well, uh, to start with, uh, my teenage children uh, were all into reading you know, Harry Potter and Maze Runner and uh, those kind of novels. And I started reading along with them to find out, you know, what, what these books are about that they're reading. So that kind of got me back into reading uh, where I hadn't really read, you know, fiction for a number of years. Around that time, I was also reading uh, Arthur C. Clarke, uh, the Space Odyssey in 2001, that trilogy. Mm-hmm. And when I was writing that, uh, that's when the concept for The Magician's Horse and Escape 2120 hit me, kind of reading that. And the idea was just... The whole story came in one big burst, beginning to end, and I jotted it down on paper. It's like, wow, that's that's a great idea. You know, someone should write that. You know, oh, wow. and I'm like, well, I should write that. You know, <laughs> so so I did. Um, um, within a few days, I started actually you know, writing the story. Plugged through it over you know six or eight months, you know, writing and developing. And then from there, I'm like, well, I, I love this writing. Can I do it again? And so I started yeah. coming up with other ideas and stories. And so turning this book, books. turning this book, The Magician's Horses, into a a film that was a dream of yours? Oh, uh, yes, it was. I mean, when I was writing the story, I could see that I could see it on the screen. But would this would be great, you know, for a movie? I'm a, I'm a movie lover. I probably, mm-hmm. I'm probably more of a uh, movie lover than I am a reader. Nothing wrong um, with that. So, so the idea of, of getting this you know, made into a film was a dream before I'd even you know, written the last word of the book. This has got to be made. And my, you know, I started writing this screenplay. And the idea then was, you know, let's push this out to Hollywood and get it made. And, you know, after six or eight months of realizing, you know, this is probably something I'm going to have to do myself. Yeah. I'm a guy that just does stuff. You know, if I, I think something needs to be done, I just, I just do it. Now, what type of budget, terms. what type of budget did you have for this film? Like it was a big budget, little budget? Oh, it was extremely low budget, uh, 30 to $40,000. Very, very tight, but you know, enough to get it done. Now, how did you raise, did you try to raise film locally to do this film, or did you actually fund this out of your own pocket? Uh, a little bit of both. I approached uh, a good friend of mine. I said, hey, look, this is the idea. Well, I'm going to make this film. You want to you help me out with it? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm on board. Oh, that's and cool. So yeah, he talked to some some investors, and so we got a few small investors that way. And then the the difference, you know, what we couldn't make up there, I, you know, I paid for myself. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, what made you decide to change the name from the magician's horses to escape 2120? Well, uh, in the book, uh, there are some common themes about the magician uh, and the horses uh, have a lot more, you know, those symbolism things uh, that work the way through the, the novel don't come into play as much into the, in the escape 2120 screenplay. So uh, that, and uh, 
I also thought that Escape 2020 has more of a sci-fi feel. People told me that the Magician's Horses sounded like a fantasy novel and you know a fantasy type yeah. of story. So those two things are what drove that. Now, how I ran across it, and I don't know how how you got it on there, but I was a uh, you know I have a Roku and I was on Tubi TV, and that's where I saw it. Now, how did you actually get it? on Tubi TV. That's what I don't understand how that works out. Uh, I approached a distributor, uh, BMG Global, and I sent him a copy of the video and it said, you know, here's this movie. Would you be interested in distributing it? They looked at it and said, hey, this looks like a great fit. And so they have connections with Tubi and of course got it on you know, Prime Video. Uh, encouraged it was so. Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. Okay. See, I didn't, I didn't know how stuff like that worked because, you know, I, I want to learn too. And uh, who knows, maybe one day I can do a movie because you never know. I mean, you did your own movie and you probably never thought you would actually do a movie. If, if you can do one, I can do one as long as you put your mind to it and do it. You know, don't don't just waste your time. Do it and get it done. And then now, look, you're a director. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that with all the other books that you have, that you're going to start doing more films um, as an adaption from your book. Is uh, Are you going to do that in the future? Um, I certainly hope so. Time will tell on that. You know, you kind of have to, to show some money because I can't just keep, you know, spending money to make movies. Yeah. So if we can kind of, uh, I would love to, to be able to show, hey, we, we made a movie and we were successful at it to approach some big investors, bigger, better, you know, do a, do a million, but also we work and we have the money and we can do it, you know, low budget again. We'll do that too. Hey, let me tell you, low budget films are sometimes the best. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Hollywood magic is cool, but to me, a, a lower budget film it really shows the handiwork. It shows your creative ideas more than, you know, something that's computer generated. So I applaud you for doing that. Now, um, I have a few questions about the movie. How did you end up with all the actors um, like Edward Pritchard, who played Dave and Samantha Ipma, who played Nadia? How did you get a hold of these actors? All the casting was done with a website called Backstage.com. I put information on the website about the, the characters that I was looking for, female age 19 to 25 and Here's this, the story, and and then the actors send me their demo reels and say, I'm interested in auditioning for this tape. And then if I like the demo reel, I would send them to mines, and they would do a, a taped audition and send it through me online. So all the auditions were done uh, online through Backstage. So anybody like me, if I wanted to go on to Backstage.com, and if I've seen something that interested me, I could do that as well? Yes. I mean, not every project is, is open to submissions, but usually if there's a project on backstage and, and they're looking for you know, someone that fits your, your interest, uh, you can submit. Usually you have to, if you don't have you know, some sort of a demo reel and just send yeah. me a picture and a, and a resume, you know, you're, you're going to get ignored because I, I, didn't, I didn't look at it. It didn't even matter if they were, you know, they'd gone to film school and been in this, you know, if I didn't see them actually, you know, have some sort of a demo reel with them in action, I just, there's so many of them. You just get, you're just flooded with, with all that makes sense. Yeah. You got You uh, want to get the best person. You so. really wow. That's amazing. So uh, one thing I did like about the movie, well, I like the movie, the whole movie, but uh, one thing that interested me is uh, when Dave uh, being a teenager and he lived in this basically orphan's home and he didn't have any money, no job. And he went over to Sally and doc's house and they basically, basically told him that, you know, we're going to give you everything because we're going to go away for a while, like for a long while and not come back. And he was kind of like, uh, okay, like I have no idea what you're talking about. And then they showed him the little box that they had with the uh, breadboard, the little timer, uh, and uh, the foil it was covered with foil. And the only way for this thing to work is it had to be the top had to be put back on top in order for this little time traveling device to work. Did you come up with that idea uh, yourself? Uh, yes, I did. I came up with the idea as I was coming to those chapters. 
uh, when I was writing the, the novel, and I knew that the, the technology was coming up. Uh, and, and I was thinking that, you know, how is this really going to work? And the idea came to mind. And we do talk a lot about it in the, in the book, it describes you know, this kind of paradox that they create. And when uh, they seal this energy field, what they're doing, they're creating a situation that is impossible. Mm-hmm. Something that is impossible can't happen. And so since it can't happen, it doesn't happen. So in essence, what is inside of that box doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So that kind of creates that. And that same idea carries forward into other technologies you see in this. So you can basically go out of existence inside of one place and come into existence in another place. You know, apparently Doc and Sally had to have tested this many times because, you know, I would definitely not want to get into one of those big boxes and not knowing if you were actually going to go where you're going to go and not materialize uh, to some dust or, you know, a, a big mass or something like that. So to me, it would be crazy. I'd probably be scared to death, but they went ahead and did it. They had their little uh, boxes with their little foil sleeping bags in the mausoleum and they went to 2120 and then you know, basically, Dave, he, he wanted to kind of join him. He wanted to find them. And he ended up 700 years into the future past. Them. Why did he, what I don't understand, why did he go so far ahead? Did he not set the, the timer right? Or he was using uh, what you saw as that little breadboard that you show it. That was the prototype device. And Doc does even mention at one point, it's like, you know, I had calibration issue uh, in the early prototype. So kind of Doc knew about this. It's not precise, you know, but you know, it works. It works for our demonstration with Dave and you were working with. But over the course of 100 years, that small calibration it mm-hmm. turned into 700 years. Yeah, that's a big uh, well, So they had it precise. Difference. And, you know, Doc and experiments, he's really he's really concerned about that. He's making, oh, okay, we did it. We're right on the money. <laughs> we're not off by a second. Okay, that's good. But that's their devices. That prototype that Dave had, it's way off. That's Man, that's crazy to go that far ahead. Now, I like the idea when uh, Dave took that little foil sleeping bag, went into that little cave cavern there, zipped himself up and went 700 years in the past, Doc and Sally. And then when he came out, he was walking. And I assume that when he saw the city, like uh, the city and the uh, the forest kind of like merged each other together, basically that was telling me that's where the city used to be. Am I correct? Yeah, that was a device that kind of had to come up with. So he didn't have to talk to himself and say, hey, where did the city go? You know, <laughs> which is kind of a no-no. Now, I like the idea of the uh, the clothes that they were wearing. The uh, To me, it looked like it, they were brown with like little gold sparkles. Is that what they were? Yes. So where did you come uh, up with the idea for that? Obviously, everybody wore the same color. Yeah, the idea there was I wanted him when he first saw them to think they were you know, out walking around in their pajamas. So they're supposed to be very comfortable, but yes, very, as I told you, if you only had one set of clothes, wouldn't you want them to be very comfortable, you know? And yes. So the water, so and I, need, yeah, I need stuff like that now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> So now, um, according to what I understand, they do not eat meat. They only eat fruits, vegetables. Um, they just eat off the land. And why did you decide to put that in the book well, and the movie? Uh, the idea there was to, to set this world apart from ours and to kind of create a situation where uh, we as, say, 21st century people might not be comfortable there. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I love my steak. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not trying to push that everybody should become vegans. Yeah, oh, I love steak. <laughs> Yeah, you know, not that there's anything you know, wrong with, you know, with that either. It's just uh, I just wanted to to make it different uh, and sort of uncomfortable for Dave to. And also, you know, it, it provides the idea of not having to, to cook. It allows this very uh, minimalist lifestyle that they have. Yeah, very simplistic. Yes. And 
and also one of the, the drivers for this this whole story and how it really came about in my head uh-huh. um, is the whole idea of you know science fiction and the future. Um, when you think about science fiction movies and you think of the future, it's always this kind of cold, sterile world where you know you get your food out of a you know a vending machine. It comes mm-hmm. out kind of got gloopy food or something like that, you know. <laughs> and everything is very you know steel walls and everything like that. And it's like what if what if the future doesn't have to? What if the you know science could actually get us more in tune with nature and live more in harmony with nature instead of, you know, kind of against it. So that's, that's the concept. So that's where I was trying to go with this kind of utopian world where we live kind of in harmony. There's nothing wrong with that. Nature is always the best. Now, let, let me ask you this. What do you think the world will be like 200 years from now when obviously we're dead and gone? Do you think it's going to be more uh, like Star Trek-ish or is it going to be more like you're uh, future that you did for the movie. I would like to see it like uh, this movie. I see that happening. It's kind of an ideological. Yeah. Um, to Star Trek, person had to dream a little bit. No, ain't nothing wrong with dreaming. Now, um, I like the idea of the little portal doors. When I first saw those, I I thought they were the bathroom as well. But obviously, they're portals that you can travel from place to place as long as there's a portal. And if you wanted nobody to follow you, you had to keep the portal door open. Um, what made you decide to use portals? Well, I think uh, the idea of portals kind of helps you know, create this very natural. Because when you, you, know, you think about transportation and you look outside and you look at the roads and the sidewalks yeah. and street signs and all that kind of stuff. If, if you have teleporters, you know, all that goes away. You don't even need a sidewalk because yeah. you, know, you can just get in there, bump, you know, clear across the, a mile away or 500 miles. So it allows for that natural wonder. I kind of wish we had those now because that'd be nice because there's a few places I would love to go and it costs too much to fly overseas. And man, just having a portal, you know, hey, pay $100 and boom, you can be in France or Germany or something. That would actually be awesome. <laughs> so, now, explain to me the legends of Lucy's Lair um, that uh, Dave and Nally were talking about. Okay, so once Doc and Sally uh, got to the 21st century and they realized uh, David tried to follow them, they are going to go on this search for him through time. And so Sally is every, every year uh, getting in her machine and sh- going out and searching for him. And, and uh, over time, this has developed into legend going around asking, I'm looking for this guy that may have came out of Lucifer's Lair caverns. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm from Everlawn. Uh, that's a you know, pet cemetery that has been destroyed. You know? And then over hundreds of years, her showing up and asking these kind of questions, this story has just turned into this, this mythical legend, Lucifer's Lair and this winter woman. Oh, wow, it's amazing. So finally, Dave, because he wanted to look for Sally, he finally finds Sally. And apparently, to my understanding... He was told Doc was dead, but actually Doc was not dead. So when he finds Sally, he's in the, the mausoleum, and uh, she says, well, to bring Doc back, you need to go in and basically go. And to me, I thought he wasn't never coming back, but he goes in, he comes back out, and then you know, moments later, Doc comes out, and they're standing there, and you can see a futuristic future, which obviously is the 2120, where you see the spaceships. Why did you decide to show a little bit of that? Well, yeah, yeah, he definitely traveled back in time. He went back in time by the 600 years. And I, I wanted to give it just a little bit of a glimpse, you know, that, that all these changes hadn't happened yet. In 100 years, um, these portals hadn't taken on. We, civilization was probably, you know, using like kind of flying cars or something. So, you know, technology has advanced by 100 years, but we aren't quite to that point yet where yeah. uh, everybody's living in these little huts. Yeah, and see, interesting about the little huts, uh, my wife and I were watching this TV program, and I can't remember the name of it, but they actually had those huts similar to what you had. They were just white and had like a sticks going over top of them. But uh, 
it reminds me of igloos. So I kind of like that. Now, when he went to 2120, basically he somewhat saved Nadia because she was kind of imprisoned from the bully Samuel. And he saw her as a young child when he was out in the wilderness. Yes, because uh, we learned earlier that Sally had saved young Nalia, had found her. She was lost in the woods and Sally had saved her. So when Dave went back in time and realized that uh, if we don't have this legend, if Sally is not looking for her, she won't find young Nalia and Nalia will be lost out in the woods. So Dave takes it to go out and save young Nalia from being lost. Pretty good. I I commend you on this movie. Um, Man, I tell you, it's... Something like this, from my understanding, it's a dream, and I congratulate you for, for fulfilling your dream. Now, on your website, you have misplaced, and you've already written a screenplay, so that's going to be a movie soon? We hope so. We're kind of you know, waiting to, to see how things fall together on this project, start getting some funding to make the next one, and you know, the screenplay's written. I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, it's wow. very, very close to the novel, as, as also the Magician's Horses, you know, Escape 2120. I really tried to, to keep the, the movie as true to the novel as possible. And of course you have to change a few for time constraints and nothing wrong with but, that, but, but especially, you know, being the, you know, the director and the writer, I had the opportunity to make sure that the parts that I wanted to keep are kept, kept misplaced. That's um, because you're the boss. Now, one question, um, I actually have it pulled up here. You premiered escape, uh, 2120, July 10th, tw- uh, 2020 at the people's bank theater. Was it a, a full house? Uh, no, it was not a full house. That was during the pandemic or so. Uh, we were under restrictions. Uh, the, there was a capacity, I think, of 700 that could have fit into the theater, and we had close to 100. Uh, but And it was a mostly you know, family and people uh, related to the film and associated with it, and, and of course, some local. Uh, it was a great turnout. We had a great time, and I was really fortunate that we had an opportunity you know, to get that that screening, your know, restrictions were were lightening up at that time, and then not long after that, they tightened up again. So, so we did oh, get wow. that window, and you know, we wore masks, and you know, we did it safely. And as far as I know, we didn't have you know any issues. That's so, good. That's good. Well, uh, before I let you go, and uh, I just want to give you a chance to plug your websites, um, and if you have any final thoughts of anybody that wants to become an author or write a sc- screenplay, I'm going to allow you to do that. Um, first of all, I'll start with uh, if you want to you know, be an author, just do it. I mean, that's I don't, don't want to pirate Nike on that, but you know, you just have to you have to do it. You feel like you have something you want to do, you want to, you may fail the first time, uh, but you know, just keep trying, and you'll get there. Determined that, that this this film was made pretty much just from my determination. There were so many different times people said you can't do this, you can't do this, and I said we're going to do this, and we you showed did it. Them. And it just it's just. <laughs> just just determination, good. just pure determination. So it's what gets yeah, they probably sometimes. were awestruck, like, oh, my God, he did it. My goodness. Yeah. That's good. And uh, uh, I've got a Facebook page, which is uh, Escape 2120. That's the page for the movie. Um, I also have my own author page, which is Brian Bennett. And uh, on you know, Twitter, it's uh, Brian Bennett Books. And uh, Instagram is uh, Brian Bennett Books and also Escape 2120. So I've got several different ways you can connect and you can go to our, our website which is escape 2120.com or okay bennettland.com I've, we've got lots wow. of, of uh, websites you know because as an author we got films yeah i may have you uh, send that to me in an email <laughs> so that way i can because i was trying to type it in as you were doing it um and if you would like to reach the jose show which i've only had one person out of 34 episodes reach me um and that was on my other podcast that i do uh you can reach me at uh zhills411 at gmail.com. I have a uh, two Facebook. I have a Facebook page and a group. Just do a search for the Jose Show. On Twitter, I am at Jose Roldan Jr. That's J O S E 
R-O-L-D-A-N-J-R. And on Instagram, I am the Jose. Actually, I'm the Hoser. Well, the Jose Roldan, the T-H-J-O-S-E-R-O-L-D-A-N. You can find me there. I want to thank Brian for uh, being on the show. And uh, it was great having you. And uh, Thanks for I'd like to have me. you again once you do your uh, next film. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, make sure you uh, share this podcast with your friends, family, and even people that don't like you because sometimes they're the best people. So thank you once again, Brian. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Jose Show. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And see you next time on The Jose Show. <laughs>